Lord, my king. As your son, I thank you this morning for these wonderful, wonderful, wonderful bartenders that you've sent here today. Bless you guys. You're going to have to pretend you're Carmen this morning, guys. Pour it anyways. <laughs> Pour it anyways. They say they want half a cup. They're not sure. Pour away. Pour away, especially on Carmen. Give him some of his own medicine. Give him some of his own medicine. Woo! Hashikata no mo sitietu no mahayatu no mahayatu no ma. Oh, roba sitietu roba shagara bakaterietu no nae. Dietu roba sitietu roba shatidigietu no rasita rovatietu no mahayatu no ea. Mmm. Mmm. to do anything to get but open. That's the scandalous gospel. Yeshua. Yeshua. Yeshua, 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 we honor you this morning. We love you, Yeshua. We love you, Yeshua. You're worthy. (laughs) You're amazing, Lord Jesus. We spent a few years in worship trying to open frequencies until we got to this, where we are right now, this portal. I kind of want to do, when we get together, I want to do this in 
in a full awareness in the throne room. Wouldn't that be fun? Why not? Anybody game? Greg, you're going to have to change your mind if you want to. That means repent. That's what repent means, change your mind. Go in another direction. Mindsets must change. I'm going to show you that, and I better move on while I can. <laughs> so Jesus is serving wine. It's up to you to drink. What goes on in the world is a joke compared to what's in the kingdom. Our problem is we've looked at religion, and they're sucking lemons. Somehow the devil's convinced us to suck lemons. How did he do that? That nasty guy. Let's suck lemons and call this Christ. So then the wine shows up. People start laughing. And what does religion do? That's of the devil. Get that lemon back in your mouth. What the heck do you think's going on here? God's trying to loosen you up so he might be able to show you something. That's all that's going on, man. Loosen up. You guys really need loosened up. I got to go forward, don't I? <laughs> All right. If any of that made sense, enjoy. Okay. Let me explain for you again the latter so you'll see the importance, right? The eternal value. It has eternal value. I hate to break your new... Well, I'll tell you that later. It has eternal value, and this is an invitation by Jesus Christ. Did you know that all are called? Few are chosen. Few are chosen. Doesn't that twist your mind, that little scripture? Kind of ticks you off a bit, don't it? What? I think it's few choose. I know I'm chosen because he told me out of his own mouth in an open vision. You did not choose me, he said. I didn't get saved wasn't my great idea to become a Christian. He said, I chose you. Now, I have a choice if I want to be the chosen, or I can go out and not choose. So, you got a choice this morning. I put it before you on this table, a choice. Wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many are they that are upon it, and those are not the people that aren't Christians. That's the chosen church. Narrow is the path that leads to life. Where's it going? Where did I say it's going? Life. Let's find one that works. <clears throat> Let's use blue. Does blue work? Okay. All right. Did I spell that right? Good. I'm not the best, especially when I'm... Never mind, I won't make that excuse. Okay. Where does it lead? Life. Few are they that find it, find it, find it. You've got to look to find. You're not going to trip on this. You're going to have to look. 
Remember what I told you a week or so ago? Faith must intersect with desire in order for this thing to start to open to you. Faith must intersect with desire. Faith without desire will profit you nothing. Desire without faith will profit you nothing. You must have both. Desire. Only reason I see where I am right now is because sometimes when I go to bed, I wake up still talking to him about the same thing, and then I'll go to sleep and I'll wake up and I'll still be on the same thing because I have such a desire. I focus myself towards him until I get the answer. It doesn't come in one night sometimes. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it takes a while. But I must desire this thing because I don't want to die in the condition I'm in. What is it that we're looking to find? Life. Life. Do you want life? Anybody here? You can choose this or you can live your little merry life in the dark, even as a Christian, singing little songs every Sunday and perish. Because you didn't look. You didn't desire. Right? Okay. The Lord showed me in 1976, and I'm pretty out of it, like meaning seriously, me and the devil and God are kind of wrestling on the ground in the mud. They're not really wrestling, I am, I'm just trying to figure it out. Okay, 1976, he comes to me and he shows me this. Can everybody see this? He shows me this thing. I've talked about this before, but I'm going to give a little more clarity to it today, and you need to really understand as you're on this whether you like it or not, and whether you go up and find life, find life is up to you, your choice. You can remain where you are, and then the reality is, let's put the reality where it really is. The reality is this. Right here is the cross, all right? Right there's the cross. That's how you get on the first step. Everything else will remain here in hell. And even some of these might. Okay? 76, he shows me this thing. It makes absolutely no sense to me, and I don't tell people about it because I don't even know what the heck it is. He shows me that there are seven levels on the planet. Seven levels of understanding or seeing. Perception is everything. Perception is everything. He shows me this. I don't know what he means. I I just, you know, over the years, I'm sort of wrestling with it. What the heck does that mean? Seven levels. Seven levels of heaven. Seven levels. Seven seven what? Right? He shows me the first level while I'm in Jamaica in 1976, probably because it's a really good spot to open my eyes on that. And that is I'm out in the middle of the jungle because there had only been a road there three years where I was in 76. People were walking around in the dark when you go from one place, there's no street lights. So when you walk from where I was, say, downtown in a bar, going to where I was staying, because I wasn't staying in a hotel, when you're going up through the mountain, there's no street lights. Stars are really bright there. It's pitch black. And when you meet a black guy walking down the road, and you don't see him until he smiles because his teeth are white, and he's got a knife in his hand this long, particularly when you're high, you're not quite sure at that moment 
whether you're going to live or die. Because he could, he could cut your throat, throw you in the bush, and seriously, who's going to know about it, and who's going to care? That's where I was, having a good time. I was partying there. <laughs> Not the brightest, but they had good pot. Right? That's what I thought. And so the Lord began to show me dog eat dog, the base of the mountain, right? You steal from me, I'm coming to your house and I'm going to rob you. Not only that, I'm going to rape your wife and kill your kids. Is that going on in the world? Okay? That's down here. That is the base of carnality. Dog eat dog. It's called judgment, an eye for an eye, right? He showed me that. It was scary, especially when you're in the jungle and you're one of the few white people around and they're killing white people two hours from you in a city. There was a revolution going on and they didn't happen to like white people. I got away with it where I was because we were the bread and butter. I didn't have much bread, but they seemed to think I did. So they just let me live. But two hours away, they're killing white people. I found out about it towards the end of my trip, which was very nice of God to let me know at the end. Otherwise, I would have been trying to get a flight out really quickly. I'm serious. This is real stuff. So God shows me the base. Because you see, I've died two years before. And now he's beginning my school classes. It's going to school, Johnny. We're going to wake you up now. So I see this. Then he shows me the pure in heart will see God. Remember that scripture? Okay, that's the top of the ladder. But it's not maybe the way you think. And so I began this journey realizing this, this exists, but I don't really know what this is. I just know this and this. That's all I know. Okay, then in 1981, I have a, I, I, I think it's a vision. I can't remember if it was a vision or a dream now. But I have this, uh, we'll call it a vision. And in the vision, I see myself with a book, right? I see myself with a book. And, in, and to me in the vision, it's a photo album. And, and I see this grate in the ground. And I lift the grate. And I climb down this set of stairs into the earth. And underneath the earth, people live in caves, in gray caves, and so I take my photo album, and the Lord's telling me, you need to go and show them the photo album. So I go to people, and I show them green grass. I say, look, see the grass? And then I go, see, look at, look at the beach in Florida, right? And I'm showing people these pictures, but they've never seen any of it because they live in gray dirt, They've never seen the sun. They've never seen anything. Remember, God's speaking to somebody that's basically... Have you ever tried to have a good conversation with your dog? His intelligence is... And he's up the top of the ladder. He lives over there. In fact, the ladder isn't even here. He's here. Right? How many believe God lives in eternity? He created eternity. He's outside eternity. Eternity is a created thing. This is who we're dealing with. He's trying to have a little chat with me, the Chihuahua. All right? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. So he says, go down there with the photo album and show them. Well, nobody would believe me in the vision. 
They go, come on, that doesn't exist, that blue sky. Well, you see, God's trying to say to me, you see, that's what I'm doing now, guys. I'm showing you a photo album. I'm going to try and show you some pictures because we're under the ground. I want to show you something. So if you really look this morning, we'll see something. It wasn't a photo album. It's a book of code. This book, right, is not nice little stories. It's a book of code. It's revelation. Do you really care that David slew Goliath? Has it any bearing on you going to work and buying groceries and paying your bills next week? So why is that story there? It's there for you. Okay, here's a better one. I'll give you a little glimpse. Somebody mentioned this one to me. I love this one. Are you ready for this? The Gadarean. Remember? Jesus goes to the, down in the Gadarean. It says the guy is living where? Amongst the tombs. Jesus goes down and delivers the guy, right? What have we got to do with you, Jesus? Okay. I don't really care. I mean, I thought it was good. I thought it was so I'd know there's a lot of demons in some people, and you're going to have to know how the technique, how to get them out, right? But that story is a code. It's there to reveal something to you. What are tombs? They're memorials. They're memorials to what? You, to the person's past. So you go there. I remember who this person was in their past. The Gadarean is living amongst his memories of his past. There are people who can never get out of inner healing because they live amongst the tombs. Do you see what that scripture, that little story in there is for? It's got nothing to do with casting demons out of some guy. For you, what it's got to do with you is get out of the cemetery. Move on. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, right? The life now I live after the faith of God. So, at some point, I'm going to have to let go of, yeah, there's a place for inner healing. I believe in inner healing, but I don't believe in living there for 50 years. Eventually, you must let go of the tombs, the tombstones, and come out of the cemetery, okay? The Bible's code now, you're kind of following me now? We think it's, because we're carnal, we tell the stories exactly the way they are and think that it has to do with living a good life and knowing certain things. When it's a code and it's a journey up this ladder, it's all there. It's all there. But you have to see. You're going to see the Gadarean story different here, 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 and here. I'm sure there's things I haven't seen in the Gadarene story yet. So it's a journey. So in 2005, Jesus comes to me on uh, Erie Street. I get whacked. I'm on the floor. He says to me, do you believe in, um, what was it, Lord? Uh, the instruments prophesying. It was Kevin Prosh's song. Do you believe in the instruments prophesying? I said, yes, Lord, but I've never heard it. But I believe it. Right? And then I go into this vision, and he shows me Jesus. I see Jesus. The veil opens. I see Jesus. He's on a throne. That means 
he's king, he's in charge, right? He's not literally sitting on a, a nice big bucketed chair, right? He gets up, he walks down three steps, boom, boom, I can't do it because these aren't steps, boom, to the third step. I'm completely aware he's on, there's seven steps, he's on the third step, and he turns and he looks at me and he completely um, spins my whole paradigm of worship. And you know the story, I won't spend time going in there. What did I see? Seven steps, him come down to here, to talk to me. Do you see this? I still don't know what was going on. I just went, seven, that was weird. And he didn't, I didn't count them, I knew. I just knew. There's seven steps, I watched him do three, and he starts talking to me. So, I realized in 76, 81, 2005, it's taking me a while, isn't it? Is this taking me a while? Did you know that I'm 40? I'm 40 since I died. It's a great year to be alive, 40 years. 40 years since the Lord, since I was walking around with him in heaven. And then he veiled it up and sent me back. 40 years. Am I a slow learner? I don't think so. I think I'm a forerunner. I think there's been forerunners in every generation. I think there were people like Paul the Apostle. Where was he speaking from, do you think, from the top? But when we get told about Paul, it depends where you are, is the way you see Paul. Right? When he says, I'll be with you in spirit, it wasn't, I'm behind you, brother. It may have been the way you think it was down here, but seriously, he was there. Okay, seven steps. What am I going to do with this, Lord? You've been racking me with this now for, from 74 to 2005. What is that? 31 years. Obviously, it's important. It's very important for me. It's very important for you that you understand what I'm telling you today. Very important. What you do with it, remember, it's on the table. John 1.51, he says, in Young's literal translation, it says, he said to him, Verily, verily, I say to you, from here on in, you will see the heavens opened and the messengers of God going up and down upon the Son of Man. From here on, you will see the messengers. We call them angels but they could well be men or women. Ascending the ladder, because Jesus is quoting Genesis 28. If you go and you, you look at the correlation, Genesis 28, you've got Jacob, and he goes, I dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth. On the top of it, it reached to heaven. The top of it reached to heaven. And the messengers, or angels here, They've gotten this translation in the Amplified. They were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood over. So up here is the Father. He's looking down the ladder at Jacob, right? Or this is, when I say this, what you're looking at here 
is translate, uh, different translations. For one translation, it's a staircase. Another translation, it's a ladder. They're the same thing. If you notice, they both have seven steps. And at the top is the father looking at Jacob. And he goes through this experience, doesn't he? He says, I am the God of Abraham, your father, and, God, and the God of Isaac, and I will give you this land that you're lying on. Now, for a lot of us, it's geographical. It's not about geographics. So here's Jesus then in John 151. He's quoting, but he's telling you, I'm the ladder that God set up on the earth. Right? Do you see this? And the cross is how you get on the ladder. That's the beginning right down there. That's how you get on the ladder. The goal of the ladder is that you would be restored back to here. And what is here? Well, here is Eden. This is what the top of the ladder is. Now, always remember perception is everything. Where do you think I'm speaking to you today? From Eden. Where do you think you are? You're in Eden. But you don't know it, depending on where you are on this ladder. What hell you're living in. The construct of what's in your own mind. What are you imprisoned by? That keeps you blind and keeps you on a level so that you can't see. He said he set angels there so that they wouldn't eat of the tree of life because if they did, they will live forever in that condition. You think when you die, you're just going to go straight up into heaven somewhere? Do you die? What is death? You mean when you dis... You, you leave the body, you think you're dead? You don't die. Death doesn't even exist. It's an illusion. It's just you releasing the body. There's an illusion going on in the Western church. Okay. Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, 17 and 18, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you, to you, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. What? In the knowledge of Him. In the knowing of Him. In the revelation of Him. What is this all about? This is what He wants, right? What for? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So that you will know, gnosko, know, intimately acquainted, not in your informational section of the hard drive. Know where, eyes, you have eyes in your heart. Did you notice that the throne has eyes all the way around it? It's all seeing. The eyes of your heart, your soul, can see. It's clouded right now, but I'm not going to go down that road at the moment this morning to tell you why. But 
it says right here, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of your calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in us, in the saints? The eyes of the heart, right, they must, uh, to see is to understand, perceive, awaken. Remember what I told you last week or two weeks ago? The word in Hebrew, arise, means awaken, to awaken, not get raptured out, to awaken. The word glory in Hebrew means um, discover my light. It's your choice again. The glory of God is to discover the light, to arise up the ladder. You with me? Okay. Okay. You notice in the times past, what did he say to the prophets? He said to the prophets, what do you see? He would show them a vision. It wasn't what they... I see a boiling pot. I see a mighty storm. I see... And then the Lord would say, what does it mean? What do you see? Do you realize people come back today, they have visions of heaven, and they come back today, and they go, I seen... I've seen what? I've seen a boiling pot. So then we worship a boiling pot. You, you follow? Okay. The prophets. What do you see? With the eyes of your heart, your soul. What are you seeing? Okay. What does it happen in the book of Revelations? He who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying. Well, he's not saying verbatim what you think he's saying right there. What is he saying? In John 3, it says, um, Jesus answered and said to them, truly, truly. You notice every time he goes that truly, truly thing, it's kind of important. Why didn't he just go, truly? Has he got a stutter? No. He goes, truly, truly, wake up and listen to what I'm trying to tell you here, is what he's saying. Get this. This is important. In other words, park your car here for a moment and get it. Don't just skim through here. There's something for you, right? So truly, truly, he says, I say to you, Jesus says to you this morning, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So if you can't see, you're not saved. Because this is what happens when you get saved is you begin to see. You begin to see. And it doesn't mean I see demons. It doesn't mean I see angels in the room. That may be up in here, but that has nothing to do with that. It's perception is everything. It's the way you see. If I stand at the bottom of Mount Everest, and I look over the valley, and then I take a helicopter, because I don't want to walk, up to the top of Mount Everest, and then I gaze at the valley below. Do you, th- do you think my perspective might be slightly different? The things I said down there <laughs> might not have been quite true because I can't see 10 miles. Up there, 10 miles is nothing. Okay? Perception is everything. Okay? Kingdom of God. Then he does parables and he says to them, he goes, seeing, you won't see. Hearing, you won't understand. 
though the parables aren't what you think they are. We tell them as parables about living good. That's carnal. When he uses, Paul uses the word fleshly, it has nothing to do with sexual sins. It has everything to do with where you live. Carnality. Sin is only a fruit of complete ignorance and complete control by the puppeteer on that level. Right? Did you ever fear? Sue and I used to talk when we first became Christians. She goes, shoot, what if I'm there a thousand years and I sin? What makes me any different than the devil? If it's all about sin, she's screwed. This will start all over again, and she's Lucifer now. Do you see what I'm saying? Imagine there's something more to this. Do you see this? It's possible when I get up in here, sin, I won't even see sin. It doesn't even mean anything to me. I live in ecstasy. What, are you going to offer me down there something? You're going to offer me a view? from? I'm on top of Mount Everest, and he's at the bottom going, come here, you should see the view. It's like, buddy, seriously now. This is Jesus going, the prince of this world comes, but he has nothing in me. What's he going to do? He can dance a jig all day. He's at the base of Mount Everest. And the truth is, he is, and he would like to get up to the top once again where he was. Where does he live? He would love to get up here. I think he tries to do it through humans. Because they're of a higher level. But he won't. He won't. Okay. Parables then, code. God wants to speak to you. Because this is his goal. This is God's goal for you. Please, please. If you're me, I do not want to depart from my body anywhere down here because I'm going to be exactly where I think when I go out. God played a trick on me. Do you mind? I do, I do rabbit trails in the middle of this. It'll help you understand, I think. God played a trick on me, a nice trick. He plays nice tricks. I used to smoke a lot when I was younger. And friends of mine said, whatever you do, don't quit smoking because you'll be ridiculous because my hand's already shook. And, and they said, if you quit smoking, oh, my God, right? Don't do it. So then I smoked quite a bit. Once I tried to quit smoking by smoking pot instead, but then after about three or four reefers, I decided to have a cigarette anyways, so it didn't work. What the heck? It just costing me money. And I never got out of the house, what can I say? So, <clears throat> oh, this is being recorded, oops. So then, um, the Lord showed me one time, he goes, because the Holy Spirit is such a nice guy, he wanted me to quit smoking because I was killing myself. You could hear me breathing across the room, and I had collapsed lungs, I had pleurisy and pericarditis twice, once when I was 16, if you can believe it, and then like six months later, and neither one of those can kill you. One's around the lining of the heart, the bag on the lining of the heart. And it's like somebody takes a knife and jabs you in the chest. But it didn't help. I kept smoking. And so then the Holy Spirit, he kind of wanted me to be here today to share, right? 
I'm here today to share because he won. All right? So he's saying, you know, you've got to quit smoking. It's like a priority list. I don't judge anybody, but I need to listen because there's times he's got to go, Johnny, you're killing the, this great thing I built for you to live in. What are you doing just to make yourself feel good? I can help you with that, right? And so anyways, he's trying to convince me. And then one day he says to me, he quickens this to me, and he goes, what is it going to be like? No. He says, what is it going to be like to quit smoking without the body? Think about this. You need to get this. You need to get this. What's it going to be like for you to quit smoking without the body? You think that addiction's going away because you step out of that body? No. It will be much more difficult for you to get over this without the body. You have the body right now to overcome this addiction. You think guys that are trapped with pornography are free when they step out of the body? What is the part that's actually enslaved here? Their body? No. The soul. So the Lord says to me, quit now. Well, he kind of scared the crap out of me with that one because I thought, oh, shoot. There I'll be wanting a cigarette and there'll be no cigarettes anywhere. No corner stores, no cigarettes. Oh, my God. So he, he shoveled this one to me down here. And so... I quit smoking. And I could talk about the smoking thing and help you in your Christianity, but I'm not going to take the time right now because there's a big revelation there of how he did it that I need to do about sin. It's the same deal. So, he shows me that I need to quit. I quit. I was really excited about that. Right? This is just on a carnal level, guys. But you have to see something here. We've been duped on some stuff. We think when you die, you're perfect. And you go straight into the most highest realms with God. Who, where is that in the Scripture? Pray tell. That's some deceptive teaching you got there. So, Eden. Everybody hanging with me Okay. You good? You still good? Okay. Eden's a level of consciousness. Our goal is to return to where we started, which is the promised land of Eden. It's a dimension of awareness and consciousness of God. The fall from spiritual perfection into unconditional love, from, sorry, unconditional love, caused man to create a process to get back to his original state. And this is what birthed religion. Religion's a scary thing, my friend. All religion in the whole planet is the process of trying to be good enough by your own self-effort. Perfection by self-effort. Look at the garden where the Lord came to say and said to Adam, I want you to see something here. The Lord walks in to the Garden of Eden, says, Adam, where are you? Who told you you were naked? Well, now, in our, the way we've been taught is God couldn't come in the garden. 
there was sin. God wasn't, he didn't have an issue with the sin. It's what happened to man. Where are you, Adam? Where'd you go? Adam, where are you? Who told you you were now full of shame? Who told you that you have shame? You see, these things entered on him down here. Do you see the fall? God isn't wrestling with good and bad. Christ didn't come to the cross because you were bad. Christ came to the cross because you were lost to save your soul. His goal is that you would find life in all of eternity. You would return. I love that, I love that picture in Psalm 23. He leads me by the still waters. They're a mirror. Who's my mirror? It's Jesus. And He restoreth my soul. What's restoration? I used to work in the restoration business. It's to put back in original condition. I restored furniture. I take that piece of furniture that's 100 years old. It's all beat up. Screws are falling out of it. Nails are falling out of it. Finish looks like crap. It's, it's like it should be burnt. Some people burn them. But then I would take it, strip it, sand it, tighten it, put it all back together, usually better than it was originally because we have a little better stuff, tools to work with. Put a nice finish all back on it. Somebody walks in and goes, oh my gosh, it looks better than when I bought it new. Restores to original condition, right? Jesus is the mirror, the still waters, to restore me to my original state in Eden. Okay? Colossians. And you, once being alienated, enemies, where? In your mind. Yet now did he reconcile you in the body of his flesh through the death to present you holy, unblemished, unblameable before himself. If also, now here's the kicker. Are you ready? This is the kicker that's so important that religion doesn't once again entrap you. If you remain in the faith, being founded and settled, not moved away from the hope of what, Paul? The good news, which you just heard, right? Which was preached in all the creation under heaven, of which I became, I, Paul, a minister. This is perfection, no longer separated in your mind as fallen. It's in your consciousness. I'm perfect. And that in itself scares the crap out of you if I say that. You're perfect. Or you don't believe this. 
you don't believe in the cross. Truth is, you always were. You were alienated in your own mind, separated. So Paul, do you know that this, I heard this guy say this the other day, I couldn't believe it. Paul spoke, sent letters to Corinth, right, Ephesus, all these different churches. And in his letters, if you know at the beginning, he's always going, man, you guys are amazing. I really love that you are keeping the faith. I love that you're doing this. I love that you're doing that, right? Then he goes into giving them some understanding on things. The church at Corinth was in sexual sins, but they moved in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There was one church he didn't do that. He didn't didn't build them up. He came straight in 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 the Galatia church in Galatia, and he goes, who bewitched you? He's talking about legalism. Who came in here and returned you back under the law of Judaism? Let's call it what it is, where it come from. Who's put you back here? And then he goes, man, he goes, I've labored in you. I've put into you. Was it in vain? Did I do all this for nothing? That now I get there and look at you. You've returned to the vomit. That's what he's saying. Isn't that powerful? Do you see how much legalism Paul was against? Because it's a jail cell. It's a jail cell. Mm, I lost it. It's a jail cell. So important to see this, man. He was more angry at Galatia than he was the fact that in Corinth somebody was sleeping with their mother with their mother. Well, that's not in our realm of who's good and bad, who we judge. I can deal with these guys. You guys. You're right back where Lucifer first nailed you in the garden. Self-effort. You think this is about you? The conscious soul of man, I think, therefore I am. If I don't think, who am I? Am I? Am? Am I real? Am I here? What makes me here? Why, how do you know you're there? Your body? Your conscious awareness that you're sitting there on the couch hearing my voice right now. That's you. That's the real you. The consciousness, I am. Right? I think, therefore I am. Okay? But what do I think? And who's enslaved me? Who's enslaved me? I'm going to take you somewhere. So here's Paul. And do you realize that's what Miles was seeing at the end of his life? Before he died, he was prophesying. God showed him. Brother... Pass that baton on. Don't die with it in the casket. So what are we really doing when we do church? We have a big thousands of people and we sing some songs and I tell you a parable the way it's written and I tell you you must be a good boy. And I just, like the Galatian church, if Paul could come, he'd rip a piece out of me. He'd say, brother, who do you speak for? It's not for Christ. I have a responsibility to pass on the baton. If I died tomorrow, will any of you understand what I'm talking about and carry on with what I'm giving you? 
That's the real point. That's a success. If not, I've completely failed. Even if I had 50,000 going to my church, I would have failed God. I don't need him to say, welcome, good and faithful servant. He's already happy. He was happy when I was in sin. It was me. John, where are you? Where did you go, man? Who told you this? Come up here. Come up here. Does God create junk? Anything that is anti-spiritual is anti-Christ. You want me to say that again for you? You see, there's, they said in the New Testament, the Antichrist has come. The spirit of the Antichrist has come. They already said it. Are you waiting for something that's coming? It's already came. The spirit of the Antichrist has come. Anything that's anti-spiritual, anti-ladder, right, is anti-Christ. There's a lot of antichrists in religion. They, they, he does his best work there. Way better work than he does um, killing people. His best work is keeping you here. Because God is a spirit. Do we know this? God is a spirit. And what, is, what did they, Paul say? The true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. John 14 In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Now, when he says places, dwelling places, mansions, dimensions, right? But he says this to us, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Well, this is good news for modern man, right? If I go and prepare a place for you, Jesus says, I'll come again and take you to myself. Well, that's good news. You're not going to leave me out here, right? Then he goes, that where I am, you may be also. So I don't care about all those other dwelling places, do I? I only care about one dwelling place, where he is. There are going to be 50 dimensions. I only want to be in the one. If he's in 50, I'll be in 50. I want to be where he is. This is his promise to us. Where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. You know the way where I'm going. That's a freaky thing. That really must have freaked them out. It freaks me out. You know the way to get there. Buddy, buddy, don't go, don't go, don't go. I don't know how to get there. Tell me, please, tell me. I need to know. Right? So then Thomas said to him, and we have an image of Thomas. I'm going to kind of fry your brain on Thomas here in a second. Thomas said to him, Master, we don't know where you're going. Well, I'm with Thomas, man, right? How can we know the way? Yeshua said to him, I'm the way, the ladder. The truth, because it's truth that gets you up the ladder, and the life. It's Eden. It's in God, right? No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way there. If you've come to know me, 
you will know my Father also. This is what he's going to tell you today. If you've come to know Christ, you already know the Father. That's what he's telling you. You know the Father also. Um, from now on, Jesus says, you do know him and you've seen him. Philip said to him, Master, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Yeshua said to him, have I been with you so long now? Such a long time, Philip. You haven't come to know me? Philip, he who has seen me, seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? If you've seen Christ, you've seen the Father. You know who he is. You're not waiting to see him. If you are, you don't even understand what he's talking about. Do you see that? So the other, John chapter 20, the other disciples kept telling him, we've seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see his hands and marks made by the nails and put my finger into the nail prints, put my hand into his side, I won't believe it. This is Thomas. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, though they were behind closed doors and stood among them. And said, now do you realize he didn't use the door? He didn't come through the wall. He just appeared in front of them. Like I'm talking here, and next thing you know, he just appears standing right beside me here. He just steps dimensionally here. Because he is here. Right? He is here. So Thomas is asking him this. He appears in the room. Which, this is kind of a special thing, isn't it? Wouldn't you like to be somewhere? You know, we go through all these things, and we're trying to find, oh, there were jewels there? Oh, there was oil there? Oh, Jesus appeared there? I got an airplane ticket. I'm going to check that place out tomorrow. Correct? Do you think it was kind of special that Thomas, we always kind of look down, if you were like me, we kind of look down at him. What do we call him in the Western church? Doubting Thomas. Well, Thomas is the low disciple, right? He's the guy that didn't believe. Doubting Thomas. You, you're a doubting Thomas, right? He was the dude that was in a room that Jesus appeared dimensionally in the room, the Father did, right? To Thomas. Okay? Hey? That's why Jesus appeared, yes. And not because he was doubting Thomas. I'm going to show you in a second. He says, reach out your finger and see my hands and put your hand and place it into my side. Do you know that Thomas stuck his hand in the, in the side of Jesus? Okay? And believe. It's, oh, no, wait a minute. Do not be faithless and incredulous, but stop your unbelief and believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, Thomas, do you now believe, trust, and have faith? Blessed and happy and to be envied are those who never have seen yet have believed and adhered and trusted and relied on me. Ian Johnson put it like this. He said, Thomas was the guy that asked questions. 
We all have different personalities, right? Thomas is the guy, like Dave, that goes, but why did that happen? How did you do that? What's that for? You know, and some people are just like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, that's good. And the, word, the guy that's asking the questions can be a little annoying, right? Because he's asking questions about everything. But is that wrong? If you get around God, you may want to ask questions. So he's the questioning guy. So Jesus appears to him, and Ian says, Ian Johnson, he says, here's Thomas, and he says he puts the hand, his hand into the side of God. Not Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus has already resurrected, already been to heaven, and appears now. The creator of the universe appears in this room. The all-knowing one, the creator, and says, Thomas, let me answer that question for you, bro. Stick your hand in here. What do you expect that little experience was like? He wasn't having a vision or an impression. He was sticking his arm into all of eternity. The past, the present, the future, everything. Everything. Did you know that Thomas went to India or somewhere and they have his arm supposedly? You remember Elisha's bones? Well, Ian went there, and he said when he got on the land and he went to this place where Thomas had been, he was on the ground weeping in the glory from Thomas, who still resonates in the land from his arm being in the sight of God. Guys, guys, where have we been? Think about this. His disciple, Francis something, Thomas' disciple, his name's Francis something. He's in this country. I can't remember where it is. I don't know all the details, just the basis of it. And this army of Muslims is coming to fight this country. And they arrive there, but the army from that country hasn't arrived. And Francis is there. And so he walks out with a cross to a full army, holds it up, and tells them they have to leave. They left. Full military, they left. Later, they asked them about it, and they said there was this massive guy with a cross dressed in white, and he said he was surrounded by a huge army. He said, we weren't going to take them on. We'd lose. This is Francis. This is Thomas's mentoring into somebody, handing the baton to Francis. Because Thomas put his arm in the side of God. You may want to drink on that one for a second. That's a good one. That's a good little morsel right there. Thomas, I look at him completely different now. Right? I go, buddy. Woo, Thomas. Buddy. Man, you got jacked that day. Then he got hijacked forever. Good old Thomas. Our problem is we've been subtly given a false God. Did you know this? 
There's a false god in our foundation. He's the god of death. He promises us that we will go to heaven and everything in the Word is put through the filter of the spirit of death. You worship this and we got to dethrone it. It's in our Christianity. The spirit of death has more power than Christ on the cross in our minds without us knowing. It's so subtle. It's idolatry, guys. We believe that he will deliver us when I die straight to heaven into the highest position. Everything will be perfect. I'm going to live on Hallelujah Boulevard, have a nice little house. I won't need a car because I can transport, but I have nice furniture. You really think that's what this is about? Less and less. Yeah, less and less. Come on. It's way more than this, man. I can do all things. Maybe I'll have a galaxy. You know, who cares? Who cares? What I'll have is union with Abba. I'll have life. This is what it's about. We've been fed a spirit of death, and so we're all waiting to to go to heaven to get the pot of gold at the end of a rainbow when we perish. And yet Jesus says that if you're born again, you won't perish. And we want to perish. I mean, we do, we don't. We're kind of schizophrenic on the matter, right? we got to get rid of it. Death's an enemy, Jesus said. How can death be in life? How is death a part of life? Tell me that. Do you think death exists in God? Does that make sense to you? Is black and white? Is hate and love? Is hell in heaven? Is death in life? No. It's an enemy. It, doesn't, it isn't part of who he is. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I'm the door. Anyone who enters through me will be saved, will live, not die. He who comes in, listen to this, he will go out freely. Well, now I'm twisted, man. What does this mean? I get to get in, go in and come out. I just don't want to go in. I'm going in and coming out. What am I going out to? Right? He says that we will uh, come in and we'll go out freely and we'll find pasture. It's okay. He's having a bad moment. We all look like that half the time. Okay. We'll find pasture, right? But we'll go in and come out. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life enjoy life, have it in abundance, that means to be full till it overflows. I don't know about you, has anybody got that one yet? You got life flowing out of you, overflowing the cup. I'm not talking wine now. I'm talking this baby right here. And well, as long as I'm buying into death, I'm not getting to the top of the ladder, guys. 
somewhere in the middle. Even thinking, as soon as we are embraced by death that we go to heaven, we're in delusion. What you do here while you're in the body, it's going to dictate what you will know there. If you jack out here, why do you think you're there? You just got the rid of the body. What is death? You didn't die. You can't die. Your consciousness, your life, your spirit. If I could have ate from the tree of life, I would never die. This body was never designed to die. You want to know what the, the heavenly body looks like? It doesn't die. It's just this, right? I won't probably need to breathe. What am I breathing anyways? Let's not go there. Right? So the reality is, it just will not die because it was never meant to die. It's a perfect creation. He created this vessel for me to live in. So if my consciousness believes that I need to get old and I got to die, then at some point the consciousness will just let go of the body. Remember the natives? When you remember the natives? What did they do? That's it. They got old, they just left the tribe because they didn't want to slow them down, and they just went off, laid down, and left the body. They made a conscious choice to leave the body. I just want to show you something. Christianity is nothing what we think. God wants to wake us up that we can know Him personally, intimately, and walk in full communion common union, koinonia, with them all the time. And I have been there. I am a witness. This exists. I have been here. This exists. And it's offered to us. The only reason I'm standing here going, I know it exists, I'm not there yet, but I plan on it. I hope on it. The hope resides within me. The understanding that it even exists, because most places if I went and talked about this this morning, they wouldn't have a clue what I was talking about, and they'd be very offended on a few things I said, especially when I went mess with their God of death. So, do you realize what a matrix is? What is a matrix? Eh? A grid system. A construct. A construct. And what that is, it's for your mind that imprisons you and there are powers that control us like sheep or worker ants for their own gain. We are sheep. Jesus said, you guys are sheep. You've seen the, the puppeteer with the strings? That's going on all around us, and we don't know it. It's part of living in this system down here, and this right here is partly how they keep you in the construct. You're watching media all the time, and there's going to be a war. There's something to be afraid of because fear is the control, right? The difference 
between fear and, and love is faith is, and hope are the things that take you up the ladder to this place from here to here. Jesus says, um, complete love casts out all fear. That there is no fear in perfect love. And you don't have to earn perfect love. You have to believe it and live in it. Okay? So this is the journey to live here. As long as I believe what the media is feeding me, who are controlled and owned and given money to keep their mouths shut and do what they're told, I am stuck in the matrix. But God comes and he busts us out of the matrix. It's a psychological warfare or brainwashing. You know when you take somebody out of a cult? you got to deprogram them. Correct? Sometimes you have to go, I joke around with Joe, to rescue somebody and take them out of the situation and then begin to speak into their lives. This is on a natural level now. Speak into their lives some reality stuff. This is a flower. You know what I mean? To get them out of the construct that they're in. So why do you think there's not greater nets around us? And if you were God, remember my, my, me going down under the ground with the book? Into the matrix. Funny part is, I'm in the matrix. If I had to come out of the matrix, and I'm still not out of it completely, in order to see, then to go and reach others. So this is what it is. It's a psychological thing that holds you in a prison. prison. We have to come out first before we can go in, or we're still in the shadows of the matrix. Okay, everybody kind of get that? Okay. Let me just tie this. I got a few more here. I'll tie it up. I wanted to give you this other part. It says Jesus is the light of the world. Does light have anything to do with darkness? Can they exist in the same place? No. Light cannot exist where darkness is. If light comes, darkness must flee. Jesus, he says, is the light of the world. He comes from a kingdom of light. That means his kingdom is not this kingdom where you and I live. He comes, darkness is not bad people. It's blind people. Who told you you're naked and full of shame? The construct had already begun. How do I get you out and bring you back into, my, into his kingdom? John 1 tells us all things came into being through Christ. Apart from him, nothing's come into being that has come into being. This is important to know. In him was life. Okay? The life was the light of men. It's to drive darkness out. The light shines in the dark, but the darkness doesn't comprehend it. They create religion, usually. They came, there came a man sent from God. Can you imagine? John was sent from God. In the womb, John was sent from God. Wow. That in itself is deep. 
John was sent from God. He was already in the Spirit before he ever came into the world. He was already on the ladder. Holy smokes. Something had to come, right? And he says this. He came as a witness to testify about a light so that all might believe through John, through him. He says this. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There's a true light which coming into the world, what's it do? Enlightens every man, awakens him. He was in the world, but the world was made by him and through him, but the world did not know him. The world did not know him. Jesus comes to dwell in us, right? We're to be light bearers. Is that not who John was? Is that what Paul said? You're a container, you're a vessel, you're a wineskin, you're a tent to contain a light, to be a light bearer. It's like you take, you know, those old candles things, um, like a lamp, and you put the light inside the lamp, and you carry the light. You see it sometimes on uh, um, the angel, remember? There's paintings. The angel of the church of, and you'll see him standing there, and he's holding a lamp. Yeah, there you go. There's a lamp, and there's a light in the lamp. Why has he got a light? Even Led Zeppelin knew about it. Remember the guy? Right on the cover. We're to be lamps. I'm not the light, but I have the light, and I am to bear the light, and I am to become uh, more and more transparent that the light might shine greater in order that people might see that are in the dark, thus me going underground with the book. That's what God's called me to do. Matthew, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all those in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. Glorify your Father who is in heaven. And we know in other passages, they're not my good works, they're His that were prepared before the foundations of the earth that I might walk in them in order that the light might shine and others might come to the light. Right? We're like those little bugs that fly to the light. That's what we need to do. <clears throat> Nobody puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out and the skins will be ruined. But the new wine must be put in fresh wineskins and no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for the new. For he says, the old's good enough. Do we not see that in religion today? The old's good enough. They're returning to Judaism. Think about that for a moment. What the heck is going on? You think you're going to find God back there when he came to abolish it? In the cross. It's Lucifer once again. Down here. Self-effort, self-effort. This should be a little bell that goes off in your head. Even if people tell you spiritual things, I can tell you how to get to heaven and do this and do this. You just must learn this and do this and do this. Ding, 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 ding. Self-effort, self-effort. No, 
no, I'm not going there. Why? Because Paul said, right, hold on to the faith. Stay steadfast and strong in the reality of what? You are blameless. Don't let them trick you because they're going to do it. Right? I mean, we've got to believe Paul. Otherwise, man, the guy's nuts. 2 Corinthians 4, For God who said, Light shall shine out of the darkness is the one who has shone where? Into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge, the revelation, the knowing, right? Of the glory of God where? In the face of Christ. But we have the treasure, this treasure, what treasure? The light, the enlightenment, the shining in our hearts, right? And where? Earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power of, of his power will be of God and not of ourselves. This is what's going on. A couple of last scriptures. In 1978, I stood before the moving throne of God. Not in a nice little picture or an impression. Like Ezekiel did. I didn't understand it. I'm starting to understand it more and more today, even in the last two months. He's been kind of addressing it. But I'm not going to go into all that today because it probably wouldn't help. But I will use it for an example of something, of what's going on. You see, for me, he was showing me my future. This is what I'm calling you to do. This is where you're going. That's what was happening to me in the moving throne of God. But it's taken me 40 years so far to climb this ladder. I'm climbing a staircase, right? And I'll tie it up at the end to tell you a couple, just a couple quick statements about the staircase, okay? Ezekiel 1 Four. And I looked, Ezekiel said, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north. God's always in the north. Have you noticed this? If you read lots, you'll see that he came out of the north for some reason. This is where it is. There will be, well, north is usually up north. <laughs> okay? And a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself and a brightness was about it, and out of the midst thereof, a color of amber out of the midst of the fire. Well, there was, there's two colors. There's amber, like an amber light, and the other's emerald, like a green emerald, and they're very bright. The appearance of the wheels and their work was like the color of beryl, and they had four and one likeness. And their appearance and their work was it, it were as if it were a wheel in the middle of a wheel. This is a picture of the corporate body of Christ functioning in glory. Doesn't matter. Which will lead to the establishing of the government of God in the earth. That's what this is. This isn't some wacko thing. And true, true, yes? Oh, thank you. In true reality, um, we think it's some weird creature. 
right? We think it's some weird creature. But the reality is that it is a wheel within a wheel. I am in Christ. Christ is in me. And we are one. And when I come to the place of moving, right, I will be the representation of, of God, you will be, if you choose, of God in the earth. That means God is going to reveal himself in us. He's going to move. When the one wheel moves, it says, the other moves. The spirit lifts, the wheels lift. Do you notice this? And they move with them. Well, I have a little more detail on that, on the Star of David. But the reality of this for us today is that when I become one so much with the Lord, that when He moves, and trust me, when those wheels are moving, I felt thousands of volts going through the top of my head and out my feet. I mean, power like you would not believe. I could have lifted a house. That's what it felt like. And every time the wheels moved, it would come down through me. Right? It was the power of God surging through my body. As the wheels moved, it came through me. I'm to come to a place that when I am here in oneness with the Creator, God will move, and when He moves, I move. His thoughts are my thoughts. I have the mind of Christ. We're one. What was He doing with the Father? I do nothing except what I see and hear the Father doing. I am so one with the Father that, Philip, you've seen the Father. Take a look. This is your Father. It will be the same with us. The world needs the light, and they're going to see it in the body of Christ. He's calling and looking for the sons of God. I've seen this in 2006. They were going by me, heading to the mountain. He's looking for the sons of God to come out of the matrix, up the ladder, into the light, to be about the Father. That's what we're called to do. What are these steps? Well, it's hard to let go of fear, isn't it? Don't you think so? We're pretty ingrained in fear. But all the time, in any way, shape, or form you can do. I remember when Joe used to tell me when, when they first entered in karate and things, he said to me one time, he goes, you know, he said, once you reach a certain level, you don't have to fight. I said, why? Because you're not afraid to die. A man that's not afraid to die is dangerous because the devil can't do anything now. He can't reckon with him. We have the fear of death. That's what manipulates and controls us. That's the biggest control we have right there. But yet the latter doesn't have the fear of death. You get up there, complete love casts out all fear. There doesn't even exist. There's not even the aroma of it because it's on this dimension. If I die down here and I exit the body, I will still be in fear because those fears are still part of my soul. They're part of who I am. 
if I'm still living amongst the tombs, am I outside the tombs when I get out here? If what the Holy Spirit did with me in smoking, whether it's real or not, He was showing me a principle. We are still in the body. You still have time. You still have time. Hear my voice today. You will remember this when you step outside the body. You still have time today to get to that. You personally can't run up these stairs. This is not something you do. This is something that's done to you. But you must, even what I'm saying today could quite possibly be the Lord saying, I'm taking you, no matter you might be here, he might be there, somebody might be there. He's offering to take you up a step. But you may walk away from here today hearing only me, hearing only a nice little message that made you feel good. You might remember this little bit, that little bit, that little bit. But the reality is, it's Christ in me. This didn't come from me learning something in a book. God will come to you. Hmm. God will come to you and He will offer you at different times and He will take you up a step. These levels or rungs or steps are perception. It's, it's a metaphor. It's like the mountain. There's a mountain, there's a ladder, you know, where did Moses go to the top of the mountain? All these things. It's ability to see. Born again, see. Enlightened heart, eyes of the heart that I might know. All these things. Perceive. So I see the world and my surroundings a particular way right here. But then God awakens me. I arise the ascension, right, to here. Now, I don't know how this happens, when it happens. It could happen while I'm sleeping, for all I know. I don't know. I can't give you that mechanics at this point. Maybe if I thought about it, I could, but I, at this point, I'm not even aware. I just know one night, was that this week or last week? I woke up at the middle of the night. Remember, I woke you up at like 4 in the morning, and I go, oh, my gosh, I'm at rest, right? Scriptures were coming from everywhere, and I understood them. And it's what had happened is I'd moved a rung. But I didn't know. I just woke up. It's like, I'm in heaven. Right? But then you kind of wake up in the morning, and you kind of like, whoa, what was that? Right? In the last two days, in the last two days, oh, yeah, I wanted to tell you that story. A couple more minutes, you'll like this. In the last two days, yesterday, I woke up. I think it was yesterday. Maybe it was three days ago now. Yeah three days ago. So, two days ago from here, I woke up and it was the very same as when I was at Avon School. I'm talking now when I was saved, 1980, is that, when were we there, Sue? 81? Avon School, or 82. Was Tasha alive when we were at Avon School? No, you, did, you got there at the upper room. 80, doesn't matter. When we were at the, no, no. Avon School. So it was probably 81. Okay. 
in 81, right, everything seemed brand new. The whole spirit realm started opening to me, and all I was doing was jumping onto here, and it was like, oh my gosh, we'd go to church, we couldn't wait to get to church, and we'd get there, and mean, you know, some guy would be manifesting, and demons would come out of him, this person would get healed, we'd go home, and the glory would show up in our house, and we had so much expectation, it was unbelievable, it's like, oh man, this is unbelievable. Now, you remember those days when you first came in? Okay, it was like that. For some reason, I walk, woke up, and I look outside, and there's snow. But inside, it feels like it's spring. I feel like, oh my gosh, it's springtime. What is going on? I'm going nuts, God. What is this? But it's so good. So the next day, I felt it still, but not quite like I did the day before. So I got to tell you, for me personally, maybe for us all, but me personally, I just changed seasons. I went up or wrong. Something's happened to me. Because, man, I got to tell you, I, I was excited. I mean, I might, revival might be coming tomorrow for all I know because I'm excited. Something's happening, right? This is what happened in two days there. Then I'm with meet with Don Carruthers on Friday, and we're at the, having a coffee. And so I'm sitting having a coffee, and a guy's sitting over here beside me, and uh, I watch him. And he gets up at the end, he comes over, hey, John, how you doing? I said, hey, how's it going? And he told me who he was, and I knew, remembered him from way back. I don't know how he knew me, I had long hair, and I didn't think I looked like that anymore. But anyways, nice little chat. He leaves, I figured uh, he must have been listening to us. And so then I kept on talking with Don. This guy walks in. He walks over, and he sits down, and he looks kind of at the wall. He's unassuming. He doesn't get a coffee. He doesn't even get a donut. And when every time I try to make eye contact with him, he looks away like he's purposely ignoring me. He's not making eye contact with me. He won't. So I'm thinking, well, maybe this guy's a little slow. You know what I mean? A couple bricks short of a load. You know what I'm saying? Because something's not right here. So then I thought, no, he's waiting for somebody and they're late. And he's a little frustrated. That's what it probably is. Then he gets up just before we're going to leave. He gets up. He walks out of the coffee shop. And he's in the parking lot now, just standing there, looking around. I'm thinking, okay, he's definitely waiting for somebody. He's getting a little ticked now. They didn't come. Then he goes on and he starts to walk off. I've never made eye contact with the man. I think, well, that's weird. Let's go down. So we jump in my car. He actually goes out like he's going that way. But then he walks down to the road, walks down the road, still not looking at me, no contact, to the light. Okay? I'm out. Tim Horton's out uh, where the old Kentucky Fried Chicken was, the new one. He's at the light. He didn't see my car, right? Because he's already gone. We get in the car. We pull out down to the lights. When I get to the lights, there's somebody in front of me, so I can't get right up to the lights. There's cars in front of me. And we're sitting waiting, and I'm thinking, what is that dude doing? So then he walks across the street. When the light goes, he, he, he can walk now. He's walking across the thing, and he looks back like this through the cars. Now, remember, I'm not the front car. I'm back there. And he gives me this smile right straight at me. 
I'm thinking, dude. And when he smiles, it's like he's going, you're getting it, man. You're starting to get it. And off he went. But it's like I'm going down the road now. The lights change. I'm driving down the road with Don, and I'm going... Because part of what I told him when we were standing there was, in Hebrews 12, it talks about, um, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. Where do you think you are right now? You're in Mount Zion. You are Zion, the city of God. And it says, of, of the myriads of angels, millions of angels, then it says, and just men made perfect. Did you know that there are men walking around and women on the earth that could be a thousand years old? Just men made perfect. What's their job? God has left them here. They're still alive. They're walking around. You won't know. They could be 15. They could be 25. They could be 75. You won't know, but they may be 1,000. And why are they here? They're about the Father's business. Men in white linen in the throne room, those aren't angels. Who are those guys? I don't know who this dude was. He may be just some guy, decided to give me a smile. But seriously, he would not make eye contact with me. I'm just throwing it out there. I could be totally up to lunch. But look at he did not make eye contact with me. He's walking by, and he takes the time to stop and actually look straight into my eyes and has this smile like, yeah, man. And I think the more you go up this ladder, I think they know. And when you get into certain places, they can come in and talk to you right off the street. Yeah. Like, do you realize in the mall, they can get away with anything in there? They could be carrying a clipboard. They can be walking around. Nobody knows anybody. They can just walk around freely. And you won't know. They could be the person selling you something in the store. Hey. Eh? Yeah, I think this is what's going on. And I think there's a lot more going on around us than we have any idea. Yes, angels. Yes, it could have been Christ for all I know. Maybe Jesus decided to show up and smile at me. I don't know this. I just know it hit me like, and the smile was, I know something you don't, but you're, you're catching on. It was warm, loving, inviting, hooked, and then gone, just like that. And when I'm driving down the road, the light changes, I'm thinking, am I really dumb here? Should I be turning around and find this guy? Buddy, I need to talk to you. Like, really, come here. Come here. Are you waiting for somebody or you got something for me? You know? But I decided that's all it was supposed to be in the moment. That in the traffic. <laughs> and I kept going. By the time I got back there, he'd probably be gone anyways, right? So <clears throat> God wants to take us up here. Every one of you is on this. If you're born again, you see the kingdom on one level or another. Is it possible to descend here? Probably. I don't think you'll lose your salvation. No, you won't. But you can descend. We can't allow life and circumstances, and everything around us to dictate. We can't let the matrix control us. We have the desire to see.
desire and faith, and the Lord will take us, what? From glory to glory to glory, that when you see him face to face, you will know as you've been known. You are not who you think you are. They know who you are. It says, in fact, in the scriptures, you've been made a little lower than Elohim, than God. I am in God, and God is in me, and I am one with him. When I say I, I mean you. Do you realize this? You've been brought into the Godhead. Do you realize that even the angels can't look upon his face? Do you realize that many of the angels can't even enter the throne room, the inner sanctum? And you can look at him face to face. You really believe what you're getting down here? Or are you going to trust God and let his word awaken you into love? Pure love. All right. Let me end here. Mm. Causes. Yes. Desire fulfilled is the tree of life. That's good, man. That's really good.